Okay, so Jake, I am uh, I'm in a meeting, and there's been a lot of Zoom calls. This is a, this is a call with a group of people that I know pretty well. It's one of these, like I said, one of these days. Just go, 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 and we're into the conversation. And everybody has good Zoom discipline, right? So they've got their video on. We're using the chat. We're asking questions. We've kind of got that protocol down because my company uh, where I work is uh, fully remote, fully distributed from the beginning. So no brick and mortar. So we've had to figure this out. But we're getting into a part of the conversation where I'm pretty confident that if we go that direction, we're going to run into some big problem. So I'm, I begin to argue aggressively for a point of view, which I always appreciate. And I think that I need to come to the meeting showing up like that. But apparently I like to think about it in two parts, posture and position, my position, my point of view, my posture, the way with which I'm addressing the group, my posture started to slip into something that I felt was confident, clear, concise. And I definitely related my concern. Everybody else apparently thought, what the hell is wrong with Chris? This is a podcast where two old friends, both Canadian, one black and one white, and both men, explore what it looks like to adopt the mindset of an inclusive society. Instead of asking, how do we get there? Jake and Chris discuss, what does it look like to act as if we're already there? Welcome to the Disorienting Dilemma. Oh, yeah. Yep. He's lost it, man. Like he is, he's all in. He jumped in too far. Now he's angry. He's, why is he talking like that to somebody? He doesn't usually do that. And there was some, there was some reflection around that. And I thought, I want to talk to Jake about this because it is definitely on the topic of uh, what is it like to live in an inclusive world, especially fully remote, fully distributed on a Zoom call, back-to-back Zoom calls. We're all in the Groundhog Day effect. And I learned later that my posture betrayed my position. Okay, can I ask one other piece? Yeah. Everybody an equal in the meeting? No, that see, no. Can I so give we, another we, P word? Uh, power? Oh, can I give you another one? Oh, we poop. do this all day long. <laughs> also, that privilege. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what What are the privileges that you have in that space? I, I'm asking. I don't know. Well, I'm one of the owners of the business. Um, but honestly, in my defense, so for everybody listening and you, Jake, we try to keep it really flat. So we just all act like there's no hierarchy and people say whatever they want. Like there's none of this uh, kind of, oh, you can't say this. You have to act this way. Everybody says exactly what they think. But I think it works against me in this situation because I can't say what I think because of the power and privilege. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's that's part of it. Interestingly enough, I was in a similar meeting, um, although my role was different in that meeting. I was facilitating. I was facilitating a meeting with the boss and other folks, and the boss was trying to s- solicit feedback and, you know, said in the exact same way, tried to flatten it structurally. I want everyone just to say what they mean. I want you to forget that I'm... I'm the boss. I'm just sitting here in the room. Uh, I want to hear from everyone. We, I have a decision that I want to make, but I want to, uh, you know, and he was really encouraging people to come forward with uh, their ideas. And in that moment, I had a cringe. I was like, oh, I wish you didn't say that. But as a facilitator, I just let it go. And about 
we were in circle and we were working restoratively, taking a restorative approach to that meeting. And what happened was about two people later, two or three people later, the person said, I'm just going to stop you right there. And before I say my piece, I want to go back to what the boss said. I actually don't need you to be an equal. I need you to be the boss. And I need you to hear me as the boss. Because I don't just want to tell you this in general. Yeah. I want you to hear me from your position because you have mm-hmm. the ability to make these changes. Um, it was really powerful. As we continued around mm. through the rest of that circle, uh, it encouraged people to speak their truth, but always recognizing that you have to show up in the space as who you are. Mm-hmm. And so when it came back around to the boss, he actually said, I want to be heard differently. You're right. I don't get to take that off, that responsibility mm-hmm. that I'm coming in. I have a decision. He had a different relationship with what he was going to do with all of the information. He wasn't just asking for it. He had to action it and apply it. And so I'm just thinking about that in terms of you want to be heard, but you are still the boss. How do you how do you balance that? You know, I, I know it when I see it, you'll see it. I've seen it from other individuals and you see it in a movie or whatever, this guy just, or woman just calmly taking it all in, not overreacting, playing the role, but in a way that isn't a rude or obscene um, exercise of power over other people and the conversation. Um, Just when I'm in it, I'm just thinking about the position, the point of view that needs to be argued. That's, that's my job. The, the role is a job, too, that I, I've let, and let go of, obviously, in that moment. Forgot the role, just thought about completely the point of view. But then it's just this dimension, because uh, I'm thinking all the time now, but uh, obviously not in the moment, but inclusive space, safe space. And I think about a phrase that you talk a lot about, which is creating safe space or a psychological safety uh, in order to be able to contribute. And you're in situations a lot where you've... You know, people have very, very heated points of view and diametrically opposed. There's not going to be like, oh, let's, uh, you know, all come to the same perspective. That's not going to happen in the meeting. How do you maintain that inclusivity even as a facilitator? By shifting the principle. So uh, from inclusivity to accessibility, that I hope aspirationally that I can create an, an inclusive space where people feel that way. But how do I do that? By ensuring that the way the meeting is facilitated is accessible enough for people to share their truth. And so it is about creating some, some ways of connecting around the issue that is not relying on someone is right and someone is wrong or shifting. It does require us to have equal access to the, the space, though, to the talking. So one of the practices, so in working restoratively, one of those practices, it, sort of the the how, right? The shortcut is people sit in circle and why we ask certain questions are all to the end of facilitating accessible spaces. This is what it means to, to be safe. So it's interesting that when you set it up, Chris, you say, I'm going in to have a different perspective to intentionally, I, I suspect it's to intentionally bring a perspective that maybe they're not going to think about. And they're going to be pushing back. And so you're creating tension. That, that doesn't mean we avoid tension. Tension is good. I think tension mm-hmm. is exactly what we need. But how do we do it without burning mm-hmm. the house down? Sure. That is, I think, the facilitative model. It's, it is that 
someone actually has to play yeah. referee. If you're going to play on the field, you can't also be the referee. And so the the beauty of a facilitated meeting, often when we give up power, this is why I end up going to facilitate some meetings sometimes, and the boss feels like I don't have to be the boss, I just want to be a participant. No, you get to still be the boss. You're just not the meeting facilitator. I understand that there's a difference. And so if the idea is that we want to get people talking and sharing perspectives, hmm. because the boss has to do something with it, well, then there's a freedom of not having to facilitate that because I want as many opinions as possible. This is that uh, idea of be being broadly consultative, hearing from a range of uh, different perspectives, so you're intentionally going out and soliciting that feedback. And you're asking it from a human perspective because you're trying to figure out to your exact point, how are people feeling right now? So as you were saying that, Jake, a light bulb went off in my mind and it was like, oh, I can see. And then from across the room, somebody threw a brick and the light bulb went out. So let me explain what I mean by that. Because the light bulb moment is, you know, when I'm working with clients or groups that are a little bit further away, like we are working together, but I'm not necessarily on their team. I get to play a facilitator role. In a room with 20 people, when they've hired me as a consultant, I definitely have a point of view, but they all want to hear it. They're paying for it. But I don't, I'm not arguing with the room. There's not, it's, it's me kind of coaxing out a perspective and finding alignment and what do we really want to do and what's not being said. I'm 100% facilitator and that works really, really well. But on my own team, or internal teams where I'm working closely with groups of people and I feel like it's us, like I'm kind of on a slightly tighter ring of in-group, and they say something that I think they shouldn't, they should know, well, we don't do it that way. You can't just, okay, where's this coming from? Like, I would never do that in the facilitator role. So may, are you suggesting that maybe one way to deal with these internal meetings where we have these tight connections where this kind of thing can happen would be to assign someone in the group the role of facilitator or move it around, provide some guidance as to what it is or whatnot, or is, how do I do it? As you were de describing how it feels, I feel very much the same way when I'm working with my team, the folks yeah. I work with every day, and I get to be the boss feels very different than when I get to be the consultant. 100% agree. I try not to facilitate as often the meetings where I have to be the boss. So day to day, I have someone else take those. Uh, and the role of the facilitator is to manage the meeting, to uh, ensure people are heard, to go around the room, to check in with, uh, to, to do the frame up. So, uh, you know, in, in my world, that's a guy named Joe. Joe will go around and uh, check in with everyone, make sure everyone's participating or at least has the option to okay. be, has the opportunity yep. to be heard by each other and by me, um, that I have an opportunity to speak. He also frames it up so that I, I don't have okay. to carry that weight. Did you, did Joe get any training for that or did he just see you do it a lot? So he sees me do it. Um, but what we did is we, we went to those principles. Oh, okay. So there wasn't a whole lot of training required if we said, the guidepost for this is yeah. participation, uh, and that participation has to feel accessible right. to everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody. That's me, and that's you know the person that's been there 15 years, the person that's been there 15 minutes. 
everybody gets to participate. And one way you can participate when it's your time to speak, you could say pass. And we'll we'll honor mm. that. Okay. So the three three ways you partic- the three ways you participate. Um, so my boss has he says, you show up, be friendly and try. Those are the three rules. You gotta show up. Mm-hmm. Show up physically, show up mentally, show up emotionally. You gotta show up. Um, in, in friendly, it kind of mm-hmm. structures it in, in terms mm-hmm. of this relational model. And then you have to just try. You have to throw it out. Uh, there is some risk to that, and people will eventually get to the try when they feel safe and comfortable. So it's not uncommon for people to just say, I, I think I'm just listening today. That's great. You are participating. You will spend more time listening than you will speaking as we facilitate a meeting where everyone speaks, or at least everyone has an opportunity to be heard. Over and over, there's a bit of muscle memory that yeah. you know people remember the order, yeah. they get into it. There is a bit of a rhythm to our meeting, and people know Every single time we get together, I'm going to get a chance to speak. Someone's going yeah. to ask me, what do you think? I'm not going to have to elbow my way in. I can just wait for my turn because I have a lot of confidence. My turn's coming. I don't have to. I don't have to fight for it. I'm going to have my, my say. And what I do with it, I can pass or I could say it. What you said in the initial part when you're telling your story really resonated with me on a relational piece when when people were... Uh, surprised. Yeah. What's wrong with Chris? What? What? This is yeah. so unlike him. We start to try and interpret it in the context of knowing people. And because it's we're relational, we, this seems so out of character. I wonder what's mm-hmm. behind that. I wonder why. Did he, mm-hmm. Is he having a bad day? Uh, the more we do it in this way allows us to build those um, connections between each other so that we can understand it you can kind of anticipate how people are going to show up when I don't, when you don't have to fight for it, when you're not feeling personally attacked, when you don't allow the meeting to, to gang up, your only job is to come speak your truth. It's not to convince anybody. So you're saying if you principalize the meeting and you listed some of the principles around accessibility and in being inclusive and whatnot and, and how to make that work, but then even those principles applied to, um, the tools that you gave your facilitator. So how it's structured to have a facilitator, what the facilitator ensures, and then the perspective of the of the participants showing up, they know I will get a chance to contribute. There is an expectation of being friendly and posture. I don't need to feel like I won't be heard or whatever it may be, but you've put enough pieces in play that I could go into a meeting like that and not become the worst version of myself because I, I just don't feel like people are getting the point I'm making. And if we don't get the point, yeah. I, having been down that road, I know it's just going to fail. So I have four, I have four work groups. Uh, they all work different shifts. Uh, we make the, uh, make the effort to sit with every work group on their first day back. They work four okay. days in a row, then they're off for four. And so for our listeners, I just want to interrupt and say, unlike me, where I meet with hundreds of people over the course of a week from all over the world, but meet nobody in person here in Baltimore. Jake, you have a nice combo of both, but your four groups that you meet with, when you say you meet with them, do you meet with them in person or online or a combo right now? It's It's a combo. combo. Yeah, it's a combo. Um, It's a combo because um, most of my staff are are located in – in Halifax, where I am, uh, not all. So we always have someone 
uh, remote. Uh, they're about an hour and uh, drive away uh, just outside. So there's always someone on the screen. But because of COVID, we've had to limit it anyway. So we have more people participating in what we have our virtual check-ins or our virtual circles. But we do it, I sit in these three times a week for about an hour. It is the same meeting three times okay. a week Yep, for me and for Joe and for my boss. Now, everyone else okay. rotates through. This was a huge investment for us because it would have been an e even easier to just send an email. But what we were trying to overcome at the time when we started doing this about a year and a half to two years ago with this level of intention was some of the feedback. No one ever tells me what's mm -hmm. going on. I, I never see them. Mm -hmm. That's the management. I never get to talk to you unless it's about something negative. I, don't, I feel disconnected from where we're going. Uh, so we said... What if we were going to invest the time that we will spend on all of these problems? What if we got to invest that in a three-hour block, one hour for each shift, and we will sit down with that work group and say, go through these, uh, this check-in. Uh, we ask them the same types of questions. Uh, we tell them we use it for information sharing. We ask for their feedback on it. We use it for training. We maximize that hour together, and then we make sure, because of having four different work groups that we don't want to have four different versions of the same business unit. So we, we try to keep it very tight to, if we talk to shift A, B, C, and D, shift A and shift B, those, the plan for that meeting, the questions we ask, the information we share is exactly the same. But I can tell you, setting into three different meetings a week, they all feel different yeah. because the dynamics are different. People show up. And it's just a lot of fun, and it's a great investment, all, although it is an investment of time and intention. Yeah, because I think the big th – well, it sounds to me like the big thing that you're building, and I'm thinking of some of the other meetings that I, I'm in as well, it, it's, it's a building trust lane foundation versus just efficient distribution of information. And, and that allows right. me to take action and get things done much better. Okay, so you want to you want to know about the brick from across the room that broke my light bulb? Yeah. So we've been talking about a power structure of of that involved privilege, uh, but also position. And I'm the boss, and the team is not the entire team isn't the boss. What about when I'm not the boss and I'm sitting in a room, and let's say that the powers that be aren't really following through on the restorative approach? They've never met you. They don't even know mm -hmm. what that term means. So now I'm in a room, and I am very aware of the women in the room who are black, the number of white folk, the majority of whom are women, is like 30 people in the room, and we're all we're peers. The boss is there, but we're peers. How do I still argue my point, but in a way that, feels like I'm being psychologically safe, especially if the, the opposing point of view is held by a group that is not privileged. Like they're just, they're like the black women, for example. I don't know. I see even now, I love, by the way, for all of our listeners, I love the tagline for the show, um, learning to live in an inclusive world. The idea is that it's not inclusive, and even if it was, nobody would really know how to do it very well because we haven't been able to practice a truly inclusive, equitable society. So I, th I hope it's okay to everybody who's listening to hear me confess 
that in a situation where you might be thinking, oh, my gosh, just don't be a jerk and listen and go with, you know, I, I'm trying to be real about and remember situations I've been in. So does that make sense, Jake? Is that is that a is that a fair example or yeah, for sure. Set it up yeah, I no, I I think I think in um, exactly the same way that you can't not be the boss. When I sit in a circle, I can't not be um, a a person who identifies as yeah. a as a black male. And I live in Nova Scotia. We, we identify as African Nova Scotian. That's who, that's how I show up. So it's not just position. It's not just the privilege. Um, I think the weightiness of allowing people, whether it's your position or it's your identity, to show up in space and that we read things through that lens. We know that everyone's going to experience it that way. So in order to facilitate accessible spaces, I'm asking people to show up uh, speaking their truth from their perspective. That can be influenced by role, identity, probably both. And so he here's, here's what's kind of interesting, and it doesn't happen overnight. If you create these spaces frequently enough, people start to believe you when mm -hmm. you say it's accessible. So some of the techniques and strategies that folks have had to use in order to be heard, historically marginalized folks who are not... who we haven't always had sure, yeah, a voice no, at makes, the table. Yeah, I'm tracking. Sometimes uh, get accused of being angry, being loud, being argumentative. And so part of a lived experience, some of those things, whilst they are not true, can come through in that way and mm -hmm. be read in that way that can look at, uh, like it's being hostile or difficult. I have really found that in sitting in truly inclusive spaces that are not just aspirational, but it takes the action and attitude shift to create it. It takes the intention to say, we are going to do this. These are the ways that we're going to ensure that this space is um, uh, accessible to, to folks in terms of speaking their truth. That by, you know, as a byproduct, it will be inclusive. Some of that stuff will actually f fall away. People will not have to uh, show up in ways that maybe they have you, in other because spaces. Because it's like training that's, wheels, that's and just once what, it kind of you internalize it, you can. It, it's more elastic. You can do more with it, but it's, it feels rigid in learning. Yeah, and I, I, <laughs> I don't think you're wrong to to be sort of asking yourself that question when you're hearing a different perspective, and it's from a person who's been from a historically underrepresented or marginalized group. I don't think, and, and it might be different from yours. I don't think you're wrong to say, uh, to feel a bit okay, well, awkward by that. How do I, yeah, or uncomfortable? I don't think see, that's wrong at all. The logical conclusion is then I, then I can see my white male cis privilege as an encumbrance. Cause I, okay, so if you will entertain the craziness of what I'm about to say. So I, I, nor, I've grown up my entire life. You say what you think. I've never been uh, aware of my own privilege or power or anything like that. Just the world works for me better than it does for other people. So as I'm talking, now I realize, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I've got a whole bunch of hurdles to overcome for the folks in this room. You have power. You have privilege. You got all these other things. And then these, you know, the, the poor black woman in the room who, you know, as you've said, 
has got to speak up if she wants to be heard because not only in her life, but for the lives, many lives lived before her, her ancestors, this has not been the case. So I get all that. That's the reality. But it's insane that I'm beginning to see the awareness of the privilege as now an obstacle because I can't just say what I think. And I'm looking at her and she is just saying what she thinks because she doesn't really have to worry about it. Now, as soon as I say that out loud... (laughs) <laughs> okay, there you got there. As soon as, as, soon as uh, I, I just, said it, okay, okay it's coming. It's coming to me. Okay, yep, yep. Nope, that was that's the kind of stuff I have to undo in my head. I almost have to like read my thoughts to the dog to hear when I hit the little logical fallacy or the crazy part of the thinking that I've just adapted to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a response to fragility. Yeah. Right, it's a response yeah. that that um, the overarching assumption has been that the loudest voice in the yep. in the room works is right. Uh, the boss is always right, and having to confront uh, fragility, uh, ha- having to confront that some of that may not be um, accurate, f- feels weird. And I think it's just about powering through that. What are the what are the strategies you're going to employ? to uh to to work through those feelings and i would only push back and say i don't think people are just get to say everything that they want to say that that's fair i mean there's sort of a a, Uh, yeah a super human level of this whole thing where we're just not going to let anything fly because totally get that but i want to go back to what you just said about fragility specifically white fragility, because maybe not everybody who's listening to this is aware of what the term means. They've probably heard it, but not sure what the term means. I I think I described the term very well. Like I'm standing there in the room, 52 years old. I'm a senior executive and I'm used to people listening to what I have to say. And then somebody, let's say there's a facilitator. Jake, let's say you have trained a facilitator. Let's say your friend, Rob. Joe. Joe. Joe's sitting there, and Joe goes, well, thanks for sharing, Chris. I think we're going to go over and talk to Linda and see what he, what Linda thinks. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think everybody's heard my, well, Chris, let's just give everybody else a chance to talk here. You're not the only one in the room. We're going to go to Linda next. Fragility would be, be me be thinking, what is going on around here? These meetings used to take less time, be more productive, and we got things done. Now we have to, do, that's what, when we say white fragility, it's that, reaction to oh my gosh i have privilege this isn't yep. fair that's which everybody else is saying reaction. too yeah yeah which has been yep that's it yeah you're right you do have privilege and it's not fair welcome to the party no 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 you're not seeing what i'm saying it i it's not equal yes that's that is what we're saying too but i want to just say whatever i think so in all of this jake let's take a peer-to-peer situation we're all in the same team we're in the workplace we're at a church we're at a a mosque we're i don't know doing mall walking. And we've got to make some decisions as a group. And let's say we have a facilitator or whatnot, and I'm in that group, and I am aware of all of this stuff that's going on. I'm aware of all the conflicting things inside of me. Power, privilege, historic, systemic racism, my white fragility. And I'm aware of all that, and I still still get it wrong with people. I really do have the intention that we're on the right track and I have an intention to be inclusive, but it doesn't go that way. 
And I just honestly, though, my first reaction is to go back and say, guys, because we talked about this just a few minutes ago. We talked about trust. It's These meetings are about building trust so we can trust each other and move on that. Is there no place for the other group, the other group, and I'm using that word, that phrase intentionally, to be okay with it, to be, to create accessible space for me to make mistakes? Like, what, what's the give and take there? Can I just say, oh, guys, you know me. I, d- that, if that's how it came across, I want to re- acknowledge that, accept it, own it, change it, but don't write me off, right? Like, that's where it starts to feel, that's the stuff that you run over in your mind. Like, what are people thinking about me? Do they think I'm this person? They had such a strong reaction to it. Like, do people think I'm a monster? Am I a monster? Like, where... I don't even know how to ask the question. What's the role for everybody in the inclusive world? I think, I think that's the right question. So whether you have a formal facilitator or you are... The, the, the hard part about this is sometimes you have to almost self-facilitate. So it's the same principles. Am I being accessible? Am I making sure people are being heard? Am I paying attention to all of the different perspectives and... Uh, trying to make this an inclusive uh not just meeting but space in terms of connection interaction Mm -hmm. so whether you and i are talking and i'm trying to make sure that you have all the time in the world to say it there is this background track where i'm asking you know are, are you okay right so how are you feeling this is where we start to recognize and we can you know going back to our very first conversation about meeting what we lose in a Zoom call are some of those tells that maybe a person's uncomfortable. It's that foot tapping on the on the floor. It's the, I want to be anywhere but this meeting. I just, as soon as the, the boss says we're done, I'm getting out, I'm hitting the door, right? It's, it's how fast can you hit that leave button in the, yeah. in the Zoom call? Yeah. <laughs> you you exactly. know when someone's not had a good experience. How do you know when you failed at making it an inclusive space? I think the tell is that you have a sense that people are harmed. The people are hurting. So how do you make it right after that is checking in. What do you need? My goal was always to try and create inclusive spaces where people feel heard. I feel like you left that last meeting without being heard. I'm feeling that. I could be wrong, but I wanted to check in about it. Uh, So that's the role of a facilitator. If you don't have a facilitator, that's the role of the person who's caused harm. Very rarely, though, so... Is it just a two-party thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a lot of work where uh, someone will invite me into a company to resolve a conflict between two parties. And I often will say, I'm happy to do that, but the, the third party is always the most influential. It's everybody else who saw that happening. It's everybody else to say, I want to check in with everyone. And how do you move the two people on either side of the conflict? You actually grab the room the rest of the room and say, so last Wednesday, we're just going to go back to that. Um, How how did that feel for folks? No. Uh, Because, I know you don't want to do it. No. It's fragility again. Um, (laughs) No, it's it's checking in for some more feedback. Oh, no. It's checking in. No, no, no. Checking in. This can't be where our podcast is going today. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's checking in to see if it's an earnest and honest attempt to make sure that we we build understanding about what happened versus just teach a lesson or be defensive. 
The easiest way to do that is for you to say, come on, guys, you know me. Yeah. You know me. Okay, good. You know, I can do on, that. Come on, you know me. Yes. No, yes. that's the wrong way. That's... <laughs> that is the wrong way. Come on, is you Is there know anybody me. else you know there me. that we can ask this question of? Like... <laughs> the, we have to build understanding to move past it. Hmm. Did I get that wrong? I, I, and there's a moment of, of vulnerability. I, I think in these kind of circumstances, it's probably not a self-facilitated meeting. Yeah. Those, those are... the. I need to hear, I was left feeling, you can use a lot of I statements. I was feeling that people weren't heard at the end. I've been feeling like this because, and in the future, I want to make sure that we don't leave meetings where people are feeling silenced. How do do we solve that? What would have helped? What could go differently? There are ways to ask those type of restorative questions. Those questions are equally accessible to everybody in that space. You don't have to be the boss. And they're answering those because you're trying to collectively solve a problem. How do you make this a more inclusive space? The trusting that people know you and know that your intentions are good and that you didn't mean to hurt, I don't think will go very far. They, they tend to start being excuses. It might explain mm-hmm. it. might explain that there's no malice behind what happened. But at the end of the day, people were hurt or harmed potentially. And yeah. it's trying to understand what's behind that. What do you need to move forward? What do you need to not be hurting right now? And I think the way you said that made me think, you know, the quality of character, the nature of a relationship, our connection to each other should support my attempt at recognition with the room rather than acting as an excuse so I should be able to get away with some bad behavior. And yeah. In the moment, I feel I felt so embarrassed and so bad when somebody told me that this had actually happened because I was unaware. I immediately wanted to just get away, like get out of that moment any way I can and say, doesn't, do people not know me? And use my character as an excuse for bad behavior rather than as proof of the sincerity of acknowledging my bad behavior. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. It's relational currency, right? You're trying to spend that relational capital. That's not how you get out of it. No, that's the wrong way to spend that capital. You're right. Like you shouldn't, this shouldn't bother anybody because you know, I'm a good guy. Hey, hey. Yeah. I've got, I've got enough in the bank to overcome that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You you have to do the hard work. Like you're broke. Yeah. (laughs) Like you've got no relational capital because you won't in time. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't fix it. Well, okay, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I feel a bit like I was treating you like a therapist, but I did want, I had thought so much about it. I wanted to hear how you thought about it. Like I wanted you to take it. And and of course, you're only getting it from my perspective, and we all acknowledge that on this call. But I took that moment as a real opportunity to think through what would it look like to have that experience in a more inclusive society where the inclusive and equitability was more normal and more pervasive than it is even now. I just wanted to jump ahead in time, see what that was like, and see if I could bring any of it back here. And I feel like I've gotten some things that I want to work through. So thank you for uh, thinking that through with me. And thanks, everybody, listening in as well. We'd obviously love to hear any thoughts you might have about this or any experiences you've had, or again, did we miss something? Should we have added something that we mentioned? Or maybe you have a different point of view. And I hope you believe that we're open to some of your different points of view. No, actually, just share anything. 
Right, Jake? Anything at all? And be sure to join us next week as we explore yet another disorienting dilemma facing us as the, you know, whatever. This podcast is brought to you by the RW Institute, produced by Daniel Parker, recorded remotely in Los Angeles from Baltimore, Maryland, and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Be sure to subscribe so you can keep up with the conversation. Care to react? Submit your comments at rw.institute or on the comment feature where you're listening now.